listening for some time Now I'm a guest Middletown, Connecticut, with Peter Van Sicklin. Peter, Hi. how's yeah. it going, Charlie? Good. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me here to your house and your fun instrument basement. You got like fifty instruments within <laughs> hand's reach, probably. Yep, and most of them can fit in your hand. I do like portable instruments, so you can write wherever you go. That is a, a trend in this basement for sure. Yeah, I mean, just on my right is a Game Boy that you've been using. Uh, for performances and mm-hmm. right. well we just did this like three minute breeze through your basement video so i'm gonna post that probably on the composer quest youtube page so sounds should, good everyone should check that out but tell me about what inspired you to start getting into music and like your love of instruments obviously sure um my band director um in seventh grade encouraged me to go see a Joshua Redman concert. And I saw the whole audience really getting into the music. He was combining other styles of music with jazz. And to see him incorporating so many styles, getting people so involved and really communicating with the audience um, really made me want to be a musician. And so that's how I pursued um, jazz performance and composition in college and then went to grad school for jazz composition. It's just really seeing someone who could connect with the crowd um, and take their instrument and play things that, that had such an emotional feel to them. Yeah. And you're saying you started on violin. Yep. <laughs> and the only violin and band. Yes, I was the only violin sitting in uh, the flute section. I think James Lambden was playing flute, um, and and I was the only boy besides him. And he dropped out quickly, and I quickly switched to saxophone and never looked back. I've been very happy to be playing all four saxophones and uh, wind synthesizer and flute um, you know, on stage with Shaka Zoba and other groups. Yeah. Tell me about your... Iwi, your mm-hmm. electronic wind instrument. Sure. It's like the guitar of the saxophone world. Um, it's an instrument that has all the saxophone fingerings. The Iwi 4000S has 100 sounds built into it, um, whereas in the past they were just controllers for MIDI, um, so you could send it to a computer. And it also has vibrato. Um, it controls the, the volume, the dynamics with your breath. There's a pitch bend. It's got a glide bar on the back, so you can both play really staccato or legato, almost like a theremin. Um, so you can you can do almost anything with an iwi with all the different controls it has on it. Cool. Would you be able to demonstrate a little bit? Sure. So here's a um, kind of a standard iwi kind of sound. So that has a little bit of breath um, with it, but then you can get kind of funkier synthesized sounds. I really like the wah, things like this. Yeah, so you can get delay, you can get... Um, this is the Iwi 4000S, and so it's synthesizing sounds. The Iwi 5000 is more sampling, and so it's got uh, more organ sounds, it's got more fake saxophones. It's a little bit cheesier, a little bit more 80s. Um, this one, I think, is a little more analog and, and cooler sounding, but... That's the Iwi. Cool. How similar of an experience is it to playing saxophone? Like, is it 
close, uh, at least fingering-wise? Fingering-wise is close. It can also do flute fingerings. It can do trumpet. You can do the electric valve instrument if you change the settings on it. So it's customizable. It takes a little bit getting used to because there's no physical buttons that go up and down. It's just touch sensor, just like tapping on in a screen of a phone or something. But it also feels like you're chewing on a, a gummy worm or a gummy bear on the mouthpiece. And I, I was struggling to find a better comparison. And then I actually tried my daughter's uh, pacifier. And it's just like a pacifier. If you like <laughs> chew on a pacifier, it's almost exactly like an iwi. So I'm hoping my daughter's going to be an awesome iwi player. <laughs> That's, That's my goal. Great. And I'm sure you feel like a little bit comforted from oh, your, yeah. your yeah, you play child iwi. self. Or... Yeah, it's both getting like the video game sounds and it's it's like a super like... It's, it's a really different feeling than the saxophone. Saxophone is raw, like breathing or singing. Um, Iwi is, is way more like virtual reality or something because you're trying so many different sounds out and you can switch it on a dime. Um, so it's, it's really fun. And it's great to bring it to settings like Shaka Zobo, which is an Afrobeat band, which doesn't usually have sounds like that in it. Um, I've played it in a tango band as the bassist for the tango band. I've done it in all sorts of different ensembles, both trying to mimic things and also bring new, more modern sounds to groups. Cool. So you're saying your daughter, um, you've been playing different instruments for her. Mm -hmm. What are the ones that she likes? And Cello is probably her favorite. She loves listening to Yo-Yo Ma and dances a lot. She does not like the soprano saxophone very much. She's startled by the trombone and the trumpet. She's three and a half months and is, um, you know, very interested in them. And the clarinet puts her to sleep. So uh, we can agree on the clarinet. I'm not a big clarinet player myself but uh no it's it's fun seeing what she reacts to and introducing her to all these things yeah how has that been having a, a new baby in the house and trying to do music stuff and you're teaching too sure um it's been ahead of time my, my wife and i recorded a whole lullaby album and so that was um an inspiration and we've been finishing it while she's been around and so um it's a lot of covers done in a more lullaby setting and so having her squawking and trying to sing along you know it's been a fun process but I actually found I've been more productive with her around because I've had to uh, find time to write amidst changing diapers and all the other things that go with it and so I'm using my phone and using apps where I'm singing things into them or jotting notes down kind of creating spreadsheets of um, what I'm going to do on my next album what are the different ways I'm going to make each song work even if I don't have the notation in front of me to get it down, I'm getting ideas down on paper that when I have time, I can plug into whatever notation software I'm using. Cool. Well, it's kind of a funny coincidence. In the last episode, I was interviewing Jenny Katz, who's a songwriter, mm -hmm. and she's actually working on a lullaby album, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Her, her kids are older now, but she's got this drive to like make songs that are I guess, like, part of it is she wants to have a cappella sung lullabies, mm -hmm. uh, but other parts is, like, her playing guitar. And But it, it, we were talking about how, like, when you have the chords in your head, mm -hmm. like, she sometimes starts playing guitar and then turns it into an a cappella thing. Oh, that's cool. But, but sometimes she has to, like, test it out on people to f figure out if you know, the melody makes sense on its own. Because she still hears it in her head that way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's really cool to think about um, implying things. And for me, it is really easy being surrounded by so many instruments and being able to record a bunch of things to put a whole bunch of stuff on it. But there have been songs when we were recording the Lullaby album where we just do one instrument and voice. Um, and I am trying to do more just playing guitar and singing. 
which is not something I'm at all comfortable with. I've always <laughs> written for big band or you know writing for more orchestral settings, and and to try to do something really stripped down is really challenging. Yeah. So, I had a thought. Um, so you're you've been participating in the Olympics, mm-hmm. and one of the upcoming challenges is to do hurdles, mm-hmm. like the. Uh, the musical equivalent of hurdles, I thought, would be to give everyone a, a lead sheet with chords, and then they have to make a melody on top of that. And I personally have never written that way, like just giving someone a lead sheet. But you're a jazz guy, yeah. Uh, so I was kind of thinking, if you're up for it, we could maybe like come up with a lead sheet for the hurdles challenge. Okay. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. We could, we could do something like that. Okay. Cool. Should we just try something out? Okay. Uh, do you want to use the piano? What do you? How do you want to? Uh, I mean, I could use. Yeah, I suppose I could use piano, or you could, or if if you were gonna write a lead sheet of just chords and no melody. I don't. Have you ever done that before? Sure. Well, the thing that it reminds me of is I did a. Um, a suite of jazz tunes in college called the Cafe Opus Suite, and each tune was a drink name um, at our our cafe. And I took chord changes from four different jazz standards and turned them into completely new tunes, like contrapacks. And I definitely, you know, found that as a great challenge. It's definitely what you want to do with the hurdles thing. But then again, it's all what kind of styles you want people to do. Do you want it to be broad enough that it could be interpreted? many different ways or do you want to have um like jazz chords like what kind of things are you thinking of uh i think i i like the idea of keeping it open to mm-hmm. lots of different styles so we wouldn't be like dictating totally like this very elaborate jazz chord with it right but you know we could insert a few like seventh chords and that sure. kind of thing some deceptive cadences yeah <laughs> something like that cool yeah so, I don't know, yeah, how should we do this? Did, did you want to try guitar and... Sure. Um, which keyboard should I use? You have too many. <laughs> yeah. Here, I could, I could just grab, like, this guy. There you go. It's going to be hard to not be tempted to write melodies, I think, while we're doing this. Yeah, especially for me being a sax player, I feel like uh, this will be interesting. So I'm just looking at... You have a lead sheet open here. Yep. Straight no chaser. Yep. Um, and it actually looks like fairly simple when you just look at the chords. It's yeah. Like, monks, uh, monks tunes definitely take a theme and, and just meditate on it. You know, a lot of his, his tunes are just taking one idea. I love, you know, going chromatically up, you know, going up and down, uh, chromatically like that. Yeah. Maybe you could have something that's uh, fairly simple for the A section, and then B section could be a more challenging hurdle or something like that. I don't yeah. know. So maybe you could have like an AABA form, something like that. Yeah. Like popular song form kind of thing. That sounds, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, where should we start? Do you want to stay in that key? Do you want to do B flat? What, what key do you oh, want? Oh, sure, we could do. Yeah, I like B flat. Good for wind players. Yeah, I I'm, I I play with a lot of guitar bands. I'm used to playing, you know, in A and stuff like that. So I'm uh, I'm game for whatever. Okay. So what do you think? Um, starting major key, minor key. 
Um, yeah, we could go major. How about B okay. flat? Are we doing major seven, or are we going to do? Uh, let's leave it for the. How about for? The, they can add. They, they can, add, can extensions. add extensions. I like that. I think that's a good idea. Do you want to go to five, then six, or what? What do you want to do? I mean, we don't want to be too cliche here. Yeah, but at the same time, people will figure out. Well, yeah, we could we could do something. How about we take a cliche and then uh, do it once, and then the second time we um, do some sort of uh, fake out or uh, sure deceptive thing with it. Sure. Um, so that would be about as cliche as we could go, right? B flat, F. minor and then to what E flat sure that's like the one that you see those uh, YouTube videos of like <laughs> yeah 60 songs <laughs> so so start with that and then um, then do something to kind of tweak it and make it something a little bit different sure So at least go to the uh, five chord. That way, you think it's going to be the same. And then, what's like a substitution that we could do? We could do like um, we could do flat six instead of six. So, so we'd go B flat, F, G flat. Yeah, we could sure. <laughs> uh, and make it make it major, right? So it's going to lead somewhere. So when you say ma major, so it's going to lead somewhere. Is that, I've never thought about it that way. Well, I was thinking, um, I was basically thinking of like the hero, the, oh, <laughs> the yeah. hero chord. Because, <laughs> you know, you always have yeah. the... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it's composer, because I was thinking, you know, and that's always dramatic when it has that kind of abrupt mm -hmm. um, thing. Do you want to go to... Um, like a D flat? Sure. So B flat? <laughs> I feel like people are going to hate us for this. <laughs> they will. <laughs> this is going to be so bad. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's a start. That's something. I was thinking of like this maybe circle of fifths type yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, sure. Let's see. So. Oh, we gotta run up. Oh, yeah, baby time. Baby time. I'll be right back. Okay. I'll bring you down. I throw a lot of theory out the window. I feel like I think more of like as a rock player or something like that. And when I play on piano, I'm definitely thinking more theory-wise. So yeah. It's, it's fun to see how the instrument changes the way you think. Yeah. I'm totally, if 
We should like maybe for the B section we yeah. should reverse, yeah, let's do it. reverse spots. I like it. Alright, so let's do the A section again just so I can get my bearings. Okay. We did something. Can we do like a, like something with a descending root or something like that? Could we do like a? Oh yeah. What do you so think? for writing our lead sheet, we'd keep it as B minor, right? B minor. And then B minor slash slash A flat. Yeah. And then G slash G. We just do F sharp. Oh yeah. Just sure. doing a sharp chord? Sure. Then what do you want next? Yeah, that's nice. A simple D flat. And then maybe the second time you could go to F or I bet she wants to sit on the couch. <laughs> this thing plays music for her. It's a little one bit music, maybe? <laughs> That's as simple as it gets. She loves that toy. Come over the couch, Annie. Come on. You love it. Yeah. That's all the best There you go. Maybe you can get a songwriting co credit here, Annie. Oh, I know. She's already playing piano. You should see her upstairs. She's great. All right, so what do you think? We've got... I was thinking of, of just going back to, so if we go... Oh, I like that, I like that. That's, that's Something great. Something like that. Yeah, that's good. That actually could be the end of the B section, which would because it would take us right back to. Oh yeah, F flat. goes back to B flat. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And that could be. Let's try it. So it was. Yeah. 
let's uh... end it. Well, how do we end it, though? I feel like we have to have some yeah. resolving thing. That's it, that's it. That's it, that's it. <laughs> that's why I was there in the first place. I was just teasing. I was just yeah, hinting it was. at it. Yeah, that's perfect. All right, we got it. Awesome. The composer quest, hero theme. Gotta have that. <laughs> well, I'm glad that's one last thing uh, while you're on the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah, hero uh, was thinking of it as like, I better make the most perfect chord progression possible so then you know but i think just coming up with something that Off the just cuff. works in general but you know it'll be a maybe a little bit of a challenge for people to figure out a melody yep because it's not what they would normally choose yeah and, and i think that um having it not just be you coming over the bouncing it off back and forth um is kind of fun because then it's not something that that either one of us would have written you know yeah that's kind of Kind of fun. Oh man, I'm having oh. so much fun singing uh, songs to her. I'm definitely uh, writing writing stuff both for her and for her mom and that sort of thing. And it's uh, fun to see what comes out when I'm just uh, putting her to sleep. That's awesome. Would you have a song you'd want to perform? Yeah, I'll I'll play uh, the song I wrote for Annie. Sure. It's pretty simple, but I've been playing around with open chords. And so it was kind of a uh, fun to try that out. Why do I Where grab do you... the guitar? Yeah, sure. I'll put her right here in the corner so she can hear it. I know you want to see the guitar. It's pretty exciting. So this is this is a a song for three month old Annie. Mm-hmm. What's what's it called? Uh, it's called Dream Big, and because uh, I was playing for her down here one morning and, and she was falling asleep and. It just kind of came to me. But, again, this is me as a saxophonist trying to be a singer-songwriter, so it's, uh, it's an adventure. All right. Annie, I feel like I'm living a dream. Annie, you're like a memory I've never seen. Annie, I'm living my whole life just for you. And now I'm wondering what you will do. Dream big.
were glued on you during that song so. and then she fell over <laughs> and then she fell over oh uh, that is great she loves to look around that's for sure but yeah well peter i have to ask you the question from my last guest oh yeah so jenny who was writing those lullabies um was asking how do you know when you're done with the song um I'm not as much a, a perfectionist as some people. If I like listening to the song and if it makes me want to move and there's nothing that's really nagging me, that's pretty much it. I know I could always tweak things. I know I can make things uh, better, but if I want to listen to it and, and if I can walk away from it and come back to it, no, everyone talks about that, but if you can walk away from it and come back to it and be happy with it, that's pretty much it. And also, yeah. if, the, if the baby's crying, then I'm definitely <laughs> then done. You're done. That's the surefire way to show that I'm done. The baby's crying, I'm done. That's it. And that's helped me with the Olympics, for sure. I, uh, I was like, I want to do more on this, but for the ping pong, that's the only take we're going to get on that sax part. Isn't yep. that right, Annie? Isn't that right? Well, Annie, do you want to ask the question for the next guest? That's pretty tough to answer. <laughs> um, I For me... My favorite instrument is the organ. And so I think if you had a chance to to completely start over and, and play a completely different instrument than your main instrument um, and, and expense, expense and, uh, and the size were not an issue, what would it be? Because Hammond B3 is not an easy instrument to carry around. <laughs> no. But I, if I, if it was not an issue to carry around Hammond B3, and if I had all the time to learn it, I would love to play Hammond B3. So what, what instrument would be your ideal instrument to be uh, completely proficient on? <laughs> Good question. Oh, now that you got your pacifier. I know. Annie. She just needs her iwi is what she needs. Yes. She needs to get a, a baby-sized iwi. Yeah. Well, Peter, it's been awesome hanging with you here in your basement. Thank you. Yeah. And Annie, nice <laughs> to meet you. Um, yep. Yeah. I guess, Peter, if people want to check out your stuff with your bands, where where should they look? Sure. Um, you can go to petervansicklin.com for all of my original stuff. And uh, shakazoba.com is my Afrobeat group that I play in. Um, they do a lot of fun stuff in Northampton and, and uh, New England. So cool. definitely check those out. And your last name is spelled... V-A-N-S-I-C-L-E-N. Cool. And Shaka Zoba, how do you spell that? S-H-O-K-A-Z-O-B-A. Shaka Zoba, like shock absorber. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for, for coming, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs>
call is now being recorded. Hey, Stringy. Hey, Charlie. Where in the world are you? I'm near Toledo, Ohio. Whoa, uh, back in Ohio? I'm, yeah, I'm, I am on my way back from the East Coast area, finishing up this leg of the tour. Yeah, it's kind of a weird feeling now, like I'm driving back to Minnesota eventually here. Yeah. And I still will have, you know, a month and a half of the tour, but I'm already feeling a little bit of the, like, oh no, real life is coming back at me. <laughs> I'm not ready for real life again. I, no, no, you got another month and a half. Yeah. So, Shwingy, what have you been up to? Um, I have been uh, working on a short film project. Uh, I've been testing out a new diet. This one's this one's new for me. I don't normally do diet stuff, but I thought I'd experiment with my body a little bit. It's a high-fat, low-carb diet. So. Oh, okay. I'm on a high-goldfish diet. <laughs> Gold, goldfish Gold. crackers. <laughs> I love it. Yep. I love it. Are those uh, locally sourced, uh, non-GMO goldfish? Um, <laughs> they were locally sourced in Minnesota, and nice. locally digested here. In the car. <laughs> uh, any any things you learned in the past couple days since we last talked? Any big, interesting? Well, since we last talked about songwriting, I've collaborated with, like, four people on songs, and they were all, like, really fun. And I I hadn't done this kind of collaboration in a long time. And it was like, I have this kind of mental block in my own songwriting about overthinking things and wanting it to be perfect. That's almost impossible to do when you're working with someone else because you don't want to waste this other person's time. Uh, So it kind of forced me to just, like, go with the flow. If an idea seems stupid, whatever, just do it. And, like, the songs we came up with, parts of them are kind of stupid, but it's still, we got something down. For sure, right? Uh, That if you critique what you're making as you make it kind of go nowhere fast. Yeah. Getting into that flow uh, allows you to get something done and then later you can edit it. Later you can figure out what to fix. Yeah. It's hard for me to generate the first idea sometimes. Hmm. Um, So I I was just kind of like seeing what my collaborators would come up with and then just try to add on to that idea or yeah support that idea kind of uh take it and run with it uh, do you think yeah. you can find that kind of relation with your own work in a solo setting oh without becoming um, schizophrenic <laughs> uh like uh cuz uh, i believe like the concept of the artist as being the soul person responsible for, you know, making art, like, is kind of a newer concept. Before it came 
is as if the influence or the inspiration came from a muse, something outside the self. Maybe that could, you know, that, that relationship that you've been finding could be like this with uh, your muse, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I did have a lot of driving time yesterday also, and I just turned off the music and I started just singing. And it was actually pretty productive. I actually came up with a song on the road. I started off thinking about your challenge to me to write kind of a personal song about dealing with my breakup. And I, I kind of had a good idea for that, but then it kind of morphed into like, I want to write a song for Composer Quest listeners, like a goodbye song. And I obviously don't have like an instrument with me, so I think that's like a really fun challenge too, is to like just make up a song without any instrument, and then then you kind of get the melody like really focused. And I think if you can make something that's fun to sing without an instrument, like, it's just going to be that much more fun when you do sit down at the piano or whatever. Yeah, that seems like a a real good test of one's skill, you know, with music, that, like, that you'd have to be able to hear it in your mind so clearly before you even write it down. Yeah. Eventually on the podcast, people will get to hear this. This song in its finished form. Can you record a little bit on your phone and then maybe have that as a snapshot as we can see the progress? Yeah, I, I could do that. Tonight I say goodbye, my friends. I'll miss you tomorrow. I'd love to stay another day, but I'm leaving. I've loved every moment we've shared together These memories will ring in my ear Forever And so I say goodbye my friends I'll miss you I'd love to stay another day But I'm leaving in the morning And though this quest may be at an end I still think you're my lifetime friends And if you feel your adventures at an end it's only your beginning I, w- I was thinking of the Beatles song Good Night which I think mm. is one of the most beautiful songs ever and that, that song is like especially meaningful to me because I learned it and played it when I was leaving my students in Tanzania. Mm. We had like this going away ceremony and I I played that song for them and even just like 
thinking of that song on the road just made me made me tear up. So Oh wow. That was really cool. That was a good day yesterday though. Just like that's the first time I've been in the car where I I was like feeling the feels like you were saying. So <laughs> feel the feels. Chicago, and we were just kind of talking about you have a, an eight-year plan of how you are going to be a full-time composer. Yeah, or at least like an eight-year concept, which the first part is go to school, and I saw that it took me about 10 years to get where I wanted to get as a drummer, and so... I'm hoping that I can get there as a composer a little, a little, a little quicker. faster. <laughs> yeah, it's cool hearing about like you are drumming, like or doing percussion all yeah. the time, and making your living that way. Yeah. Uh, so far this year, I've played at least sixty gigs, I think. Which you know, I have plenty of friends that play uh, more than that, also. But for me, that's that's pretty big. How hard is that to do in Chicago? Well, you know, it kind of depends on what type of music you are. One thing that I found moving to Chicago compared to a city like Milwaukee is in Milwaukee I found that you have to play a lot more styles in order to work it all. In Chicago I find that people tend to specialize a little more. Um, you know, I see that some of my friends who play more jazz stuff play a lot. I'd say in a place like Chicago, it's definitely easier to play, you know, almost every night of the week. What kind of things um, did you learn in building up your career as a drummer that you're going to try and apply to mm. now being a composer? <laughs> well, uh, when I started as a drummer, I mean, the the difference that at least so I'm 32 now. I mean, I started in earnest trying to build up my drumming career. Well, you know, when I was like 19 or 20, so I was a kid and had no idea how to meet new people, had no idea how to make new contacts, was certainly afraid of adults back then. <laughs> you know, like, so now I've learned how to talk to people, how to negotiate. Um, you were saying you, you were just reading a book on negotiating? Yeah, the book I've been reading is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And that book's been really useful because it 
you know, he talks about how most of your life is negotiations, whether it's with your significant other or your boss at a job. And I think one of the things that it's helped me to, to look at is what do I want to get out of a situation? And most of the time, what I want to get is, you know, a, a result that's favorable for me. But then also, I want that situation for everyone to walk away from it feeling good. You know, so often there's a lot of situations in music where things can be really tense. You know, people are emotional with music. They want to, and so it's it's not hard to, for people to get in fights and arguments and stuff like that. I mean, the number of times that that I've gotten pissed off at a at a gig or something like that is pretty frequent. You know, but but rather than like getting in a fight with someone, if we all defuse the situation. Like everything works out way better long term. So yeah. that's, yeah. And in the long out. run, they're more likely to want to yeah. work with you again. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like, or the, the relationship stays good. Um, and that sort of thing. And I, I've, I think that people generally respect you more too. Like if you, if you can make a situation calm down rather than escalate, I mean, to me, that's, it's really about impulse control and, Impulse control is what it means to be an adult, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. You know, a child has no impulse control. And and if, as an adult, you have no impulse control, you're, I don't know, you're still a kid. Yeah. I feel like an added hurdle is email communication or just any mm. non-face-to-face communication. Because it's, like, easy if you feel slighted to, like, write a very heated email Hmm. but and i i've been on both ends of that with stuff and sometimes it's like yeah if you just let it sit for a day sleep on it and then realize like well yeah you know what we could figure this out yeah that's interesting because it for me sometimes it's the opposite because i'm just trying to face to face is harder sometimes yeah like i i can always write a, a, a chilled out email um some situations I've been in more recently was, you know, some of the leaders, you know, cause a lot, so I'm working as a side man mostly. So I'm, you know, I'm always working for someone else. And sometimes if a leader is, you know, a lot of times the guys that I work for are older than me. And I think that they respect it when, when I'm a man about it, you know, when I'm an adult about it, when I come in and I, I can assert myself without being a dick. And that's why I, I honestly kind of feel like that's what I've learned in like the last three years is how to do that, how to be that way. You know, in my twenties, I just feel like I was a kid figuring his way into the professional world. And now I feel more like, all right, this is what I want to do. I want to be strong and you know firm and resolute in my convictions without being, you know, forceful or yeah, without being a dick. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing like sometimes people, we, we kind of talk about this, like people perceive you differently. Cause like you're kind of a bigger guy with <laughs> muscles and tattoos and your name's Thor. So yeah. I'm sure it would be easy enough for you to like throw that around well, if you, but I don't know. I guess I've never thought about that. Um, 
I suppose, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I, now I, now oh. I will. Then. <laughs> well, no. No, I'm no, not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as, as far as things I've learned as a drummer that will help being a composer, the, the things that count there, I think, count in pretty much every field. Um, showing up on time, being prepared, um, dress the part, act the part. Like, if you're playing at a fancy dinner party for millionaires and you show up with a like pretty ratty dress shirt, that's not okay. Like, you buy a nice dress shirt. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. I mean, you just kind of interact with all social levels of society as a musician. So sort of, and so you kind of need to be a social chameleon. Yeah. So you're in a master's program right now. You're telling me about mm-hmm. that's um, all online. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, ThinkSpace which I'm sure some of the listeners have probably seen online. They have some uh, some YouTube videos. And they're based out of the UK, and I'm doing an MFA in game music and audio. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. I've never worked harder on anything. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of stuff are you learning there that you'll be able to apply towards your eight-year plan? Well, I'm learning, I'm learning about... Uh, partially implementation, how to implement the audio and music that I'm creating to put it in the games. Uh, for me, I, as a composer, I, I started just doing stuff completely for myself. And I didn't want to write commercially. I just wanted it to be my own thing for quite a while. And then about a year ago, I finally felt comfortable enough in my writing, but also I felt that I was spending so much time at it that I may as well <laughs> I may as well try to you know make this part of how I make a living. So with with the game music audio, that was also me taking a, taking a look at like where music fits anywhere in society, and I like film and TV music but it tends to kind of fit a certain mold. I mean, there is there is some film and TV music that like really breaks out of that mold, but a lot of it, it's like, if you're writing an action sequence, it's going to sound like an action sequence. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of room for lots of creativity there. To me, I've, I think that some of the most creative music being made today is in games. To me, when I think about how you can essentially compose a piece that plays out based on how the player is interacting in the game environment that just blows my mind and and I need to learn how to do that and I decided to do audio also because I don't know anything about creating sound effects (laughs) (laughs) so that just seems like an awesome exciting challenge yeah what do you picture as once you've like graduated and stuff? What what kind of people are you going to try and reach out to specifically? Well, a lot of it, um, I'm planning on making some treks to uh, game developer conferences, doing a few game jams, and using the network of people I already have to see 
who already exists in that. Um, in Chicago right now, I play in about 10 bands. And so I have some contacts of people who said, you know, as soon as you advertise something, that's something that I found is interesting. As soon as you advertise something about yourself, people tend to come out and say, oh, really? Well, I know, you yeah. know. So when I say, you know, I'm doing video game music, they, I've already had people say, oh, really? You are? Well, I know somebody who works at whatever. Yeah. You know, I found out that NetherRealm Studios is here in Chicago. I didn't, hmm. I didn't know that. You know, the ones who make all the Mortal Kombat and Batman games. I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know they were here. But yeah, I, I would like to... I know there are, there are usually more sound design jobs available than composer jobs. Sure. So a lot of the stories that I've heard of people who are working as composers, they often started with a different job in the game industry. Yeah. Or they started with mobile games, or they started with casino games, or they started educational games. They started doing something which led to another thing, which led to another thing, and you know, which which admittedly is the exact same way that my drumming career has has worked out too like right now i'm i'm playing in a a really excellent wedding band and you know the the path that one takes it was i i left milwaukee to work on cruise ships while i was on cruise ships i met a guitar player and singer from oak park which is outside of chicago so when i told him i was moving to chicago he hooked me up with a band leader who was looking for a drummer. That band leader really pushed me into School of Rock and I worked there, which led me to meet the band leader that I currently work for. You know, like it's, yeah. you can never guess where one thing leads. I think I've taken one audition in Chicago that led to anything. One, <laughs> you know, you just got to do a lot of things, talk to the right people and get lucky. But you have to put yourself in the situation to be lucky in the first place. Yeah. And sometimes it's like taking on gigs for free just to get like some more connections sometimes. And at first anyways. Yeah, at first. I would say if you're... I'm going to fill this up before I answer that question so it doesn't sound like I'm peeing in the interview. <laughs> He's just pouring some tea. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, I don't play any free gigs now. Um, when I start doing some video game stuff, I'll likely find myself doing a couple things for free, but under certain conditions, I'm going to need to really like the project or it just seems super fun. Yeah. I, I tend to think that a lot of times people do get paid what they're worth and, if you really think you're worth more, maybe maybe you need to be a little more humble and find out, am I really worth more? Like, do I have the skill set that this gig demands? And you might think you do and maybe realize you, you don't. Like mm-hmm. that, That's something that I've, I've realized more yeah. lately. Yeah. I want to ask you about your album uh the great stone stories oh yeah that turned uh that turned three years old yesterday yeah i saw your post that's <laughs> awesome it's a cool concept album that's like 
Well, well, you could explain it, but based on Native American stories. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a Native American folktale rock opera. <laughs> <laughs> what um, inspired you to start that? Well, this was a period of time where I would spend a lot of time to make an album that I would play live once and <laughs> never again. And I did three albums like that. And Great Stone Stories was... You know, I think when I went to college and learned music history, a lot of what you learn is that every era is always a reaction against the previous era. And I think that even most of us as artists are are always doing the same thing. I'm sure you've you've done it too, where you write something and you're like, oh God, this, nope. And so then you write something that's the complete opposite next because like you hated the previous thing. Have you had that experience? I, I haven't thought of it that way, but maybe I am doing that some in some ways. Mm. That's that's what I did. My my first album that I ever released was this purely instrumental concept thing, which was based on uh, the philosophy of Ken Wilber and the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. So this is high concept kinds of stuff. And after that, I thought, well, all right, this was cool, but. I need to do vocals because then I can directly say the things that I can use words instead (laughs) of musical, like these vague musical ideas to express some of these things I'm thinking about. So then I wrote a vocal album and nobody really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) At least I didn't get much of a reaction. I had a few people that liked it, but, but most people were somewhat lukewarm to it. But what I saw in that time the people that really had my back were my family during that time. So I wanted to write an album that was reflective of my nuclear family. And the one thing that I could think of that really united my family of my brother and my parents and me was when we were kids, my parents still do it was pre 1840s reenactments. So Hmm. my parents have a teepee and they do like these fur trade era reenactments it's called buckskinning, and the meetups are called rendezvous. So that was something that we did as kids. And so then I thought about the stories from different Native American tribes and thought those would make some cool songs. So then I gathered a, whole, a lot of stories. I read a lot of stories and then strung them all together into a, a Native American folktale rock opera. There's the rustling of the and the sounds of owls and creaking of the trees the creaking of the trees Listen to the sound of the wind Passing over the hollow Did you have those instruments recording together in one room or the orchestra as you called it (laughs) (laughs) yeah no uh nothing played at the same time on that entire album it's all multi-tracked so that's why it took forever (laughs) (laughs) yeah because there's like i don't know how many yeah there's there's pretty much the the core band on each song is up to three singers flute violin viola and trombone mallets so either vibes or marimba 
and then guitar, bass, drums. And I loved the combination of flute, violin, viola, trombone. This trombone's my favorite brass instrument by far because it just has the most range. And I remember Sting had an interview where he was discussing Chris Bodie and how Sting feels that his voice is like a trumpet. So having a trumpet in the band really helped to like bring that out. Hmm. And that made me think a lot about different people's voices and what is their instrumental analog. My voice teacher said I was a brass voice Okay. when I'm singing. <laughs> Got it. Because it's more like punchy with my singing voice. Okay. Or it's like nasally and like got it sharp i guess yeah i would think and so, yeah so then i think about a lot of like rock stars and how they all have a lot of grit to their voices you know <laughs> so having an electric distorted guitar just makes sense yeah i think that i'm a trombone so <laughs> <laughs> i think that i'm a trombone because a trombone has a really large range that changes a lot over the course of over the the span of the range sure but nothing about my voice like my singing voice or or even my speaking voice like really cuts it's it's just slightly more subdued the whole time Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's why i I needed the trombone because it it's like my backup singer I used I wanted someone like her who has a very pretty voice because then she matches with the violin and flute and then my friend Dan who sang like the big great stone parts he has like this great like rock voice so all the electric guitar stuff goes with him what was that process like coming up with the whole concept album was it like very much just song by song as you went and you decided like oh here's the story I'm going to do with this song or was it like you had the whole concept before you started writing all of them in detail it was a little bit of both um I don't know if your podcast talked about it before but the idea of being an experimenter or more of a top down where you start with the bigger concept and fill it in have you talked about that before maybe (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a lot of episodes. <laughs> yeah, you probably have. But to me, there's sort of the two ways of writing where one is like sort of coming in from the bottom where you play around with an idea and you just see where it takes you. And then you're done when you decide you're done. Yeah. But you could kind of tinker with it forever. And then the other one is more the if you're thinking of it more top down where you have the the big picture and then you just fill it in. Yeah. I think we were, I actually, uh, 
Did you listen to the episode with Mikey and Mandy? It was like last season, I think. But they talked about like architects versus gardeners. Hmm. That kind of okay. idea. Like you're either the top down like architect yeah. or you're, like the gardener trying these different ideas and Got seeing it. how they they grow uh, organically. That's a way better way of talking <laughs> about it than I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah, that exactly. And I think if you're going to create something that's kind of big like this, you have to be a bit of an architect. I think there's always going to be some gardening that you do in anything, but I like something that has this a bit of, of a somewhat of a cohesive narrative. Um, so the process behind that album was a lot of it was, like I said, I just gathered a lot of stories and that's a picture started to emerge from that, from just reading the stories and seeing what was going to work. I tried not to be too vague in the lyrics in terms of what's going on. Cause I, I wanted people to hear the hear the songs and know what the stories are rather than being like, well, this is nice, but I don't know what, <laughs> how am I supposed to know yeah. what's going on here? But as a backup, you have prior to the song track, you have the right. spoken word, like yeah. tell, talk about the story. Right. So that helps yeah. put people in the mindset. Yeah. At least. That's one issue I have with some concept albums is like they try so hard to make sure like the story elements are clear, but then it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, right. And and that's hard. That's a hard balance. That's why I made all those little brief intros because then hopefully the music's still okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the rest no, it, of it. Yeah, it works out. I thought it worked well. Cool. That way. All Turtle wanted was to fly south with the birds. If only he had heeded their warning. Do you have a favorite chord? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about, do you have a favorite rhythmic pattern? Well... I'll answer that by saying I have certain rhythmic conventions that I like. I mean, a lot of what stuff that I write does tend to be, you know, there's a fair number of mixed meter or odd meters featured in a lot of my writing. And I'm a big believer in making odd meters or mixed meters smooth. Hmm. I hate the idea of, of odd time that is jarring Unless you're specifically trying to make it jarring, but the idea of like you know a five four groove being boot cut boot cut cut boot cut boot cut cut, it doesn't yeah. work for me. It does not work for me at all. So I always like I, to to smooth it out. Yeah, um, I also kind of hate the waltz beat when it's like so yeah. obviously like right chin 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 yeah right. The, yeah, and that one will will only work like if you're if you're like the ballroom dance situation, and the people need to feel where it's at. But otherwise, I'm with you. Like jazz waltz is way better to listen to. Like so much more satisfying to listen to. So that's that's one of my main things that I like to try to do is always smooth out 
any odd time signature kinds of stuff. So a lot of that is whenever there's a three grouping, cut it in half. So for example, if you're in seven and your grouping is two, two, three, if you cut the three in half by making that you know, two dotted quarters, then your overall scheme for the seven is ba da 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 ga da ga da ga da ga da 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 ga da you know which sort of smooths it and makes it feel like it has these four pulses ba 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 da 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 which you know, rather than boot do cha do 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 cha do do cha do 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 cha do do cha, you know, then it's just kind of always stumbling. So I'd say that would be my favorite. Hmm. It's more of a convention that I I or a philosophy, I guess, sure. of about meters is I I want it to be smooth. I don't want you to notice that I'm writing an odd time. Like the first composer quest I ever did was the the video game one with you. The pixels an exhibition. Yeah. that track to a friend they didn't even know that it was in five they're like that's in five good perfect (laughs) i don't want you to think that it's in five yeah when i do odd time signatures i try to it it works the best when i have like come up with maybe a melody already so then it's like where the melody naturally pauses there might be an extra beat there exactly so I feel like there's a lot of things where it's like, if you can sing it, then it's good composing. <laughs> right, yeah. Melody-wise and right. rhythm-wise, if you can do the drum beat, yeah. like, with your mouth. <laughs> right. I guess. Yeah. As a teacher, some of my writing gets influenced a little bit, too, because I'll be teaching a kid about five. And I'll talk about how five can be broken up into either three plus two or two plus three. But then I tell them, well... Let's just face it, though, it's pretty much always 3 plus 2 because there's almost zero examples of 2 plus 3. Except for this song that I wrote (laughs) (laughs) because I knew it needed to exist. Uh, Turtle Flies on Great Sun Stories is 2 plus 3. this day i i still don't i mean maybe one of your listeners has an example of something else that's two plus three but i i just haven't heard one yet it's yeah, it's always three two plus ingrained two. the other way yeah because i was done it's always that it's always that so when I wrote doom 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 like I just I need 
I just need to see what would a song sound like that's two plus three instead of three plus two. Yeah. Because it. And, I, yeah. I suppose like you, even just like hearing you saying it, it probably feels like it slows down in each measure a little bit. Yeah. Which is maybe like opposite what we naturally want to do. I don't know. Like, right. Well, it towards has the a, end of yeah, a measure, it has a certain lift because if you're um that yeah if it's three plus two broken up in the way we talked about dun dun da da dun dun da da dun dun da you're right it has that feeling of a almost acceleration but if it's two plus three it actually lifts da 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 well that yeah that makes me think now of like Strauss's waltzes have mm. kind of yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Right. They kind of like yeah. float a little bit. Right. Yeah. And I, obviously, I'm thinking of 2001: Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. Like the, with the floating <laughs> yeah, metaphor, but. Well, but even even when you, I took a ballroom dance class in college, which kind of helped this out too, where the idea is you actually lift on two. When you're doing the basic steps, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, hmm. two, three. So you should have, there should be a, a feeling of, of lifting on two in a waltz, in most of them. Because yeah, if it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, it, to me that feels like an anvil. Um, here's something good for, yeah, I don't think the composer quest has talked about this one yet. Um, one of the most useful clinics I ever went to is by Stefan Harris, who if your listeners don't know, is a vibraphone player. He's probably my one of my just favorite musicians of any kind. And his clinic was talking about just different types of dominant seven chords. So he said, what you should do is play this chord and get a sense of how it makes you feel. Like, deeply how it makes you feel and what is your reaction to it. So play just... Just a straight up dominant seven chord, one three five flat seven, and just sit on it. And what does that sound like? And he said, I did a month each for each of these, like one month of just doing this, like every day, just doing some time on this. You can improvise within them, also, you know, play your arpeggios, play them in different inversions. Then you do dominant seven flat nine, and get a feeling for what that's like. And then do like flat nine sharp elevens. Each one has its own sort of emotional content to it. So he said, you know, because when you play that flat nine on the top, it's going to have its own sensation to it. And once you get a real good feel for how that chord feels, like in different styles, at different tempos, in different inversions, both your improvising and your composing are going to be informed by that where you'll be like I really want this hip feeling so I'm going to add this tension note on top so that's a way to think about this kind of harmonically and I've been thinking about that rhythmically for a long time you know so when I think about the rhythmic scheme of things I think about that in terms of every eighth note or every sixteenth note that's in a measure. So if you're uh, counting along and 
Like, what is a, a note on beat one feel like? Boom. 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 Like, to me, that it just has a lot of weight. And it makes me feel very secure. What does the end of one feel like? Boom. 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 Like, to me, that makes me feel like I'm sort of tripping a little bit. Like, I'm falling forward. I did not expect it. And I'm, and I'm just sort of like, oh. Or like a clear. Uh, <laughs> like it has that kind of sensation. Beat two has its own feeling. Boom, three, four. Boom. 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 You know, it, similar sensation to beat one, but a little different. You know, you could, and, and so you go through all this, and I spent a lot of time. You could do this in every style. If you're playing it in, in like a rock style, you know, then it's different than if you're playing it in a jazz style. And you go through and you, you play each eighth note and get a really good sense as to what that feels like on a deeper emotional level. Because then you're also going to think compositionally where you want to make that stuff sit. If you want something that makes that feels like you're stumbling, then you know you want to put it on the end of one. If you want something that just feels very grounded, not terribly interesting, but solid one it is and then you go then you go through and do all the 16th notes too um so you're doing the e of one two three four boom ah ah like that to me feels like i should have been saying e e (laughs) three four one e two like so that that to me like there's always some sort of picture that pops up in my head when i think about that where I think about like a Fred Astaire sort of slide to side, and, like you know, just there's like this sliding motion where it doesn't feel as stumbly like and the end of one does. So that's something I like to think about with various rhythms and how they operate is to you know have a really solid foundation for how does this stuff feel because then you can write I think with more intention instead of just sort of writing things that you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, one practical way to test this stuff out is when you are working on your mix and maybe just, like, moving your percussion line a 16th in one direction. I just remember, like, when I was first messing around in GarageBand and stuff, that feeling of, like, oh, I moved the snare, like, half a beat... And then, oh, wow, this yeah. song sounds, like, so cool now. Yeah. Moving some snare hits around. Yeah, if you're playing around like that, I mean, you could write... Well, move two to the E of two. Wait, I mean, that's much cooler. Now and yeah. then eventually, eventually, I think the point that you want to get to is that you're hearing this stuff naturally. You know, for me, that's the benefit of playing drums all the time, is that I'm just automatically hearing drum rhythms constantly. So 
you know, when I see someone on a forum asking, how do I write better drums? I'm like, play, play them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Play drums. Like, you know, uh, talk to a drummer, like get, get some of those sorts of ideas. Like that's how you write better drums. Like listen to a lot of drums, man. Like that's, that's how you do it. Yeah. I was actually in the car. I've had a lot of time in the car to think. Um, (laughs) yeah. And I was thinking like, ah, it would be really fun to learn drums. And like, you know, if I actually was serious about it, I think I'd enjoyed the drums. Drums as if, if there's any young listeners out there, join a band, join a (laughs) band because as, as someone who teaches a lot of drum students, only taking drum lessons will not help you unless you are insanely motivated like I love playing drums with other people and I shouldn't say it on the record but I will but like I don't like playing drums by myself hey that's the <laughs> same way with me playing violin I yeah. hate solo violin yeah yeah playing drums by yourself is it's like it's like going to the gym I think like you gotta yeah versus like playing a sport <laughs> exactly running for fun eh but yeah. playing soccer yeah, I, but, I, I wouldn't know anything about running for fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, okay, so my last guest asked a question that's pretty appropriate to this. Okay. Peter Van Sicklin asked, if you could start over and play a new instrument, what would that be? Um, and if money was no object. Oh man! If money was no object, that changes literally <laughs> that changes everything. <laughs> um, so if I could start over, so if money was no object, I'd say I'd probably learn every instrument. Oh, man, I well, I think I would have learned like every rock band instrument for sure. Every rock band instrument would be very useful today. You know, doing composition. Uh, String instruments are are way too hard. <laughs> uh, my wife's a violinist, and it's a hot, very high level of dedication to be good at. Um, I love woodwinds. I love brass. Uh, I do not like saxophones, um, <laughs> except soprano. Huh. Um, I actually That's like- funny because uh, Peter, who I just interviewed, is a sax player. Okay, and. His daughter hates soprano sax. She's like, <laughs> she's a baby right now. Okay. Like, like he plays different instruments for her and a lot of them she likes and clarinet <laughs> puts her to sleep. But okay. soprano sax, ugh, no. Oh, man. Well, I guess it, it also depends on who's playing it. For me, saxophones are, it so matters who's playing it. I really like the guys who just get like that really dirty tone where it feels rusty. And I've only really played with a couple guys who play soprano. And one of the guys I played with, uh, Wes, I love everything he does on it. So hmm. it, to me, it kind of, a soprano sax is like a clarinet on steroids. And if you play it like that, it sounds great. If you play it like a, like a small saxophone, then I hate it. <laughs> like yeah. that's how I like it to sound. Sure. Um, do you have a question for the next guest? I should ask something that's in that's relevant to our conversation. 
Well, it'll, it'll be a video game composer. I can oh. tell you that. Okay. So many people have asked such great questions in the question chain. It's, it's, it's the most pressure about even being on this. <laughs> uh, well, since they're a game composer, like, what are some ways that you would like to see music or audio implemented? Or what are some ideas that you have about implementation that you would either like to do or that you would like to see done? Cool. So, Thor, uh, one last tradition that I want to ask you to do. Oh, man. Your composer quest theme. Yeah. I'm so not prepared. (laughs) That's that's the point. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, you have a marimba right there. I do have a marimba right here that I haven't played in a while. (laughs) I have all the other guests' ideas in my head from all this. So a theme for a composer quest. Oh man. And you should try and like you I'm I mean I'm sure you just naturally do this, but maybe you could like utilize the rhythmic stuff we were talking about. Yeah. Um uh, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the hardest thing I'll ever do. Um Quest theme there. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me over. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and if people want to check out your music, where should they go? Uh, uh, Thorbremer.com. And the newest stuff that I've been working on is 
actually my classical group called Nine Worlds Ensemble. And you can go to nineworldsensemble.com to hear some of that. We are about to wrap up our double album based on the four seasons. So cool. we have like a whole bunch of music written for that group too. So Cool. How are the seasons characterized in the music? It, it's uh, essentially four EPs, winter, spring, summer, fall. And the winter stuff... So this is also sort of a top-down approach to, to each one where I thought about different things that characterized winter and so then essentially kind of picked song titles and then wrote music based on that. So skating... Sludge. Or Snowflake. And then in, in spring, songs like Bloom. of it was soliciting ideas from like my friends and family saying what do you think of when you think of summer all right i'm gonna write a song about motorcycles i guess then So at the beginning of this episode, you heard me and Peter Van Sicklen coming up with the hurdles, the chords that each of these composers would be writing melodies over, and it was so cool seeing what everyone did with it. I was especially curious to hear what Peter thought after doing this challenge himself. So here's Peter Van Sicklen talking about his approach to the hurdles challenge. All I knew is that I wanted to write in a time signature other than 4-4, so I opened up Sibelius, wrote out the chords with some jazz voicings uh, in a piano track and started writing a melody, which turned into this. I liked how it had a lilting feel for the idea of hurdles and jumping over the hurdles, running, jumping, running, jumping. But I wasn't really happy with the melody or the groove. When I was living in DC, I would take the Metro to work and I would often write music on my iPhone using lots of different music apps. I hadn't really used them recently, but since I have a baby, it's tough to compose, especially when the baby is starting to cry. That combined with the fact that I was going to have to write the composition very quickly led me to use the application iRealBee, a digital reel book where I could tell the virtual rhythm section to play the chord changes in one style like this. See if I like it. And after singing over that, trying to come up with some melodies, I could switch it around to another style, 
Something more like, say this. I definitely like the funky feels that I found using the iReal B app. And uh, because of that, I stuck with um, uh, Afro-Cuban feel in 12.8, which had the lilting feel I was going for, plus some of the funkiness of some of the more straight-ahead uh, time signatures. After that, I tried plugging it into Sibelius, like I had going before, and I came up with a melody that sounded something like this. I was getting closer to the right direction, but plugging notes into a computer didn't really give me the feel that I was going for. So I stopped using Sibelius and went back to the iPhone, plugged in the MIDI tracks into GarageBand, and just tried singing along to the Afro-Cuban groove. That was the feel I was going for. After plugging it into Logic and using the Wurlitzer sound and a synthesizer bass and just a standard drum kit, I knew that I wanted to record live instruments and I was starting to get a little bit of an Eddie Harris vibe. So I played saxophone for the melody um, and used some octave harmonization and delay effects like Eddie Harris might do. I also panned a clean saxophone to the right, almost as if there's a player playing acoustic sax on the right side and the effects were coming out of a PA on the left. This kind of prevented the melody from getting too muddy on the saxophone. And then I started recording bass, live drums on my little toy drum kit, um, and I kept the real B uh, electric piano MIDI track because the uh, Wurlitzer sounds are pretty nice in Logic, and I don't have any nice vintage keyboards like that to use other than my piano, which is all out of tune. So that was pretty much the track. I did try to put some vocals on it um, with some cheesy inspirational lyrics that made it kind of feel like uh, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. Keep running, keep jumping, keep flying over the hurdles the world's place down for you. I know that it's best to finish a song even if it's silly because you might like where it ends up going, but I think I'll save the inspirational kid song for another day. I did add some organ as the finishing touch, uh, and I used the Hammond sound within Logic. I would love to use a real organ, or even um, in GarageBand on the iPhone, you can tweak the Leslie speakers and customize the drawbars. But for now, this will have to do. I also tried putting the organ up front as a little bit of an intro before deciding on the sax intro, uh, but it sounded a little too much like the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys are great. It just wasn't the feel I was going for. So with that being the very last thing I added, the sax at the beginning, um, I was done with my hurdles composition and pretty pleased. I thought it was a fun little groove, and hopefully I'll play it live at some point. Thank you, Charlie, for having us do such a fun event in the Composer Quest Olympics.
Thanks again, Peter, for helping me come up with the chords for this challenge, and thanks for the audio commentary. If you want to hear all of these hurdles entries, go to composerquest.bandcamp.com. In the next ComposerQuest Olympic update, we'll get to hear what people did for the Relay Race Challenge. I've teamed up composers in groups of four or five, and they're each going to be doing chunks of one larger composition. It's another weird challenge, but I'm excited to see what they do with it. Stay tuned. So, I have a question for you. Uh, okay. Feel free to, if it's too personal, whatever. Uh, but, what? If it's too personal, I answer think, anyway. <laughs> if it's too personal, answer anyway. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, let's, let's hear it. So, I know you've been in some long-distance relationships in your life. How does that work? It's um, something that I'm learning to be better at. I mean, it all comes down to communication. So I believe that across the board, you have to be able to communicate frequently enough. And so there's definitely been some challenges for my girlfriend and I, because I've been on the road for a bit, you know, so actually quite some time now. Although I, I, I've seen her quite a bit. You know, I've visited her and she's visited me. But yeah, there's the ups and the downs. And being present in both has been really helpful. Or, been, you know, really, it's been required for me. Um, I, I haven't always been the best at communicating because I feel like I can go a little bit longer without hearing from her. Because, like, I'm okay with solitude. Like, I'm going to go over here and work on this thing and do this thing. And I can be away from people for a while. And, I, and I'm probably on one end of the spectrum compared to the average person uh, in terms of my ability to just kind of, like, work on something in, in solitude for a while. Uh, so that's been my challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that is sounding very familiar to me. Uh that's usually my situation too, is like, I am also very much okay with like, kind of being in my own world and doing my own thing, and I, I sometimes forget about like, communicating. I mean, not yeah. just in relationships, but friendships too, I, I kind of forget about that sometimes, and, but usually with friends, it, it's okay, because a lot of times it's like, well, when you do end up picking up the phone, it's like no time went by. And relationships are different, though. They are. They are so. part of the whole package. Um. Yeah. The part that's hard for me is like there's a lot of things you're kind of imposing on relationships. Of like this person is going to be totally compatible with me. They're going to be my best friend. We're going to live together, talk all the time. And that's, like, a little bit of an abnormal state for me, I think, in general. Just, like, being that committed and devoted. But, hmm. I don't know. Maybe that will all change at some yeah. point in my life. What if, Charlie? What if you doubled down 
on your commitment. As opposed to maybe feeling any sort of reluctance, double down. Like, the going has got tough. I don't feel the particular way that I would want to feel, but maybe that's a challenge for us to rise over, you know, uh, to double down on that commitment, to look even harder for that connection and that love, whether it be with that significant other or that song you're trying to write uh, or a family member, you know, something you're doing as a creative project or anything. You know, when the going gets tough, can you find it in yourself to double down and really find why? Why are you connected? Yeah. Yeah. I think I would like to to try to do that. Like, lately, I've, I've been feeling, like, a little bit inward focused, like, just caring about myself in some ways. And, I mean, in a way, this tour is a little bit like that, too. Like, I'm, I'm meeting with and talking with a ton of people, but it is, like, very personal, like, figure out Charlie kind of thing, too. So, so yeah. Yeah, man. you got to figure out yourself. Because uh, when you figure out yourself, you have that much more confidence and that much more strength, that much more energy and that much more love to give to other people. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that kind of stuck with me when we were when we were talking about this breakup thing uh, off the record, <laughs> uh, you you had talked about like, well, it's really within your own power to decide. Like, what what do you want? Do you want this relationship to work? Or I I don't know how exactly you said it, but it was kind of kind of empowering. Like. Like, really, it is up to me if I want to change. That's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it inspired you. That's good. Yeah. Well, anyways, that, that's probably enough into my personal life for now. Uh, <laughs> find out more in the rest of this Composer Quest season. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeff, it's been a pleasure, as usual. Of course, man. This is really good. Yeah. All right. Take it easy. All right. See you, Charlie. I'm here in Chicago doing my final interview here. And I'm going to be meeting up with Whitaker Trebella, who I haven't seen since high school, like over 10 years ago. So this is going to be kind of fun. Whit, hey. See you, man. (laughs) You too. How's it going? Good. What is that? This is my podcast recording. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What is this? That's the mic? Yep. It's a little uh, Sure mic. That's beautiful. Fuzzy I love thing. It. It's, it's very, uh, it's very cute. Very yep. Cute thing. But I thought I'd record this moment <laughs> of us meeting. That's a, how long has it been? What, like, twelve years or yeah, something? Yeah, at least. So. Yeah. Fun wow. To, fun well, to good. See That's a very, very good beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll uh, we'll do a little recording after cool. we eat. All right, sounds good. Wit, I'm I'm here in your apartment. You are. And your dogs have warmed up to me. <laughs> so we just ate too much oh Chicago style pizza. Yeah. Uh, but way too much. It was delicious. It's cool seeing you after. I know. I, um, we figured about yeah, 12, twelve years, years or something. So. You moved away from Minnesota, and now your parents moved away too, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like... Yeah, it's it's been tough because... Or not tough, really, exactly, but it, it's weird because I... From second grade until graduating high school, and then maybe a year or two after that, visiting a couple times from college, but I, after that, once my brother went away to school, my parents moved to Maine, and um, ever since, I, I literally haven't been back to Minnesota, and it's... Uh, it's sad in a way because I, you know, it's a big, it was a big part of my childhood and, um, and plus I just, I've obviously grown distant from pretty much all my friends and I've been really terrible about keeping in contact about, uh, with people and, and so luckily recently I've started to keep in contact more like with you and, uh, mm-hmm. a couple other of my friends have been talking to more recently, so... And I didn't go to the 10-year reunion, but I think I'll probably go to the 20-year. All right. (laughs) So in another, like, eight years or so, I'll see you there. All right. (laughs) Yeah. But it it sounds like, and from just being here for a couple weekends now in Chicago, it sounds like there's just, like, all these opportunities for you you as a game designer. Mm -hmm. And you haven't been doing as much composing lately, but... Yeah, it's it's a really really good community here for game design. Um, not just strictly game designers, though, but anything orbiting that field. It's, it's, there's a lot of um, people doing lots of different things for games. Like, there's a lot of artists. There's a lot of, a lot of programmers, coders, and things like that. So it's, it's a really... I lucked out in being here, even though when we moved here, I, I wasn't into game development at all. I think when I interviewed you last, you were kind of at this transition point of like, you were still teaching music, but you were like getting more and more passionate about like switching from teaching music and even from composing music mm-hmm. into like full time game design. Yeah. So, yeah, how was that transition and how's it been going for you? Yeah, it was um, back in. 2010 actually is when I first got the spark of like I actually probably said this at, on the interview last time so I won't really go into detail but I went to this event with the school I was teaching at and Michael Salvatore was speaking there and he's a composer for one of the composers for Halo and I was like oh my god I'm meeting the, the composer for this game wow that's so cool and he just really inspired me, thinking like, "Wow, I could I could do music for games. Why couldn't I?" And so I started kind of getting into that field and reaching out to different developers, emailing random people of games that I loved, and, and just eventually got my music in a couple things. And and at the same time, I also was realizing that it'd be really cool to actually make my own games. But the problem is, I didn't know anything about coding and programming or game design or anything at all. So I started doing research on the basics of programming, all this stuff, taught myself how to program over about a year and a half, just the very basics of it, and um, just enough to get like 
something up and running. Um, made my first game 2012. Um, second game, Pivot, um, also launched on iOS, and that was uh, 2013. Um, and that's probably right around when, when I did that interview. Um, and that was like three or four times more successful than my first game. And so after that one launched, it sort of pushed me in the direction of thinking like, wow, I can, I actually could maybe make a life out of this. And um, I loved it so much that it was definitely a goal of mine. And um, at some point, I think it was the year after that is when I officially quit teaching and went full-time indie development. The initial switch was just fantastic. And uh, it's just like, a dream of mine to do this. And, um, I think if I had even thought it was a possibility when I was a kid, I would have wanted to do it a lot earlier, but I never really even thought about it. Cause I, yeah, I just, no one pushed me in the direction of computer science. I didn't even really know what it was. Um, but I think I would have liked it a lot because there's even this, when I was in, I think high school, I found this, um, I found like an unreal tournament level editor online and I just like downloaded it and just started making levels and I didn't even think about it, but I was I was doing game design back then a little bit. I mean, they were probably yeah. awful, but I, I didn't. I just thought it was so cool and fascinating, but I never really thought about it as a potential career. Um, but yeah, once level I, level editors were like, that's the reason I bought a PS2 because oh really because of Time Splitters. Oh, that game was so good. I forgot yeah. that had a level editor. Yeah, I spent way too much time on that. I also, I was a huge fan of the Tony Hawk level editors. Yes. Those, those, oh, I forgot those. Those were so... Oh, and you could program in your own, like, bonuses. Yep. So I am so happy, you know, I was so happy to switch. But to be honest, it, it has been hard and uh, because it's just, it's so different. First of all, it's really, really hard to be your own boss. It's hard to know what exactly you should work on when you fill so many roles. I mean, I'm the artist, I'm the musician, I'm the programmer, I'm the designer, I'm the, the business reach out person. I, so many different things. Um, luckily, my wife, Dana, is my PR person and she's really been helpful with that aspect. So luckily, that's, <laughs> I don't have to deal with that because I, I hate that stuff and I'm really bad at it. But as for the game creation stuff, I just, I have so many roles and so many, I wear so many hats that it gets overwhelming at times and um, being a perfectionist and also having like eight different roles is not a good match because then I want to be perfectionist at everything. Yeah, I, I feel like probably with any creative hobby that you have, it's like, yeah. oh, well, it's still my hobby, so yeah. if I make something that isn't good, it's yeah. all right. Definitely. But, the pressure that's involved yeah. when your livelihood is now dependent on it is just extraordinary um yeah i still i feel like i haven't gotten to that point with composing even because i still have mm -hmm. backup plan of like yeah my video work is mm. what pays the majority of my bills still mm -hmm. so well before i forget i have a question chain going with the podcast mm -hmm. and the previous guest i interviewed thor bremer here in chicago and he's getting into game composing mm -hmm. and his question to you is what kind of unique music implementation would you like to see in games or like 
Maybe have you tried some? Yeah, I'll answer weird... you by telling you about this one game that I played recently. That it's just so good. Um, the game is called Tumble Seed. It's a game being made by two two friends in the games industry. Um, Greg Woland and Benedict Fritz are making it, and it's a rolly roguelike. <laughs> Basically, you are you know you know those old like labyrinth games where you're you're turning the uh, like physical wood. Oh yeah, the ball and the falls marble. Yeah, you try to avoid it falling in the hole. It's basically that, but it's um, you're trying to roll this ball thing, seed, I guess, tumble seed. You're trying to roll it up this this tree, and um, one of the things that uh, the musician said, uh, I saw him talking about on Twitter, or at least it's on his bio or something, is that music and sound effects are two sides of the same coin, and I think that's a really cool way to look at it and if you hear the music and the sound of that game you'll see what he's talking about like he uses really cool sound effects not only in the um, gameplay but also it ties intricately into the music and he uses it in a very um, like he does a lot of like foley kind of sound work like he he says there's like a sound effect where a dog is licking an egg out of a bowl and like a sound where he's like dropping acorns on the ground and like just all these really cool realistic sounds that he not only uses as the sound effects in the game but are part of the music itself and it it all ties together beautifully and it's just a gorgeous soundtrack and um and that's something i i try to do too like my first game polymer a lot of the sound effects in the game were actually had a note associated with them and it was yeah. just a diatonic scale, and the way I coded it was that whatever song was playing at that time, because I wrote maybe maybe three songs for that game, and they each were in different, closely related, but different keys. And then I just had like a method that said get note for you know current song, and so whatever song was playing, it would it would draw a, a note from that key and play it at that time for that sound effect. As a perfectionist, is it hard to work with your wife in the same company and project and like be very connected that way? Yeah, it is. It does get hard sometimes, for sure, um, because it's you know th- PR for games is an extremely important part of it, uh, but it's also you as a developer, as a designer you don't want to be too invested in it because then you start thinking about your game in a way that makes you second guess it. Like, cause then, like, cause then I'll Is be like... Is it marketable? Yeah, kind of exactly. Thing? Then I'd start worrying about that and like thinking like, well, is this as marketable as it should be? Is it, which is of course an important part of any planning with game development, but it can be tough. Uh, so I think what I've sort of learned from this whole process is I need to focus on making the best game I can and then working with her on finding ways to market that game that I'm passionate about. Um, 
because whenever I, when I look at the app store and I see like another game that's doing really well, I get immediately think like, Oh God, there's this game that's doing really well. Why can't I, there's no way I'm going to do that. Well, I, that they, they're more successful than me. It's just, it's, it's hard not to second guess yourself for some reason when you see other people's successes. And I, and I hate that about myself. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be competitive in this industry because it's actually a very collaborative, supportive industry, but it's still just mentally it's, it is hard um, because it's, it's such a personal project, you know, it's your little art project and it's, you want it to be successful. You want to get an A. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you want it to be a success and you want it to do really well but you also need to focus on making it fun and interesting and, 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 and also on top of that, with my perfectionism stuff, stuff like that, I tend to do feature creep and, and meaning like, like you me, keep adding. Yeah. Meaning things. I think I have the game ready or like I have pretty much an idea of what the game will be. And then I think, Oh, but what if I did this? What if I added this? What if I added this? And that, that's frustrating for someone in PR because it's like, you want to know, PR person wants to know your schedule and think like, okay, three months out, this is when we're going to launch. This is when we're going to um, submit to the app store. This is when we're going to talk to press. This is all these things. And, and anytime a delay like that happens, it just throws all that out the window. So it has been hard on Dana <laughs> working with me for sure, because I've had trouble giving exact deadlines because they're always changing. I've had trouble giving exact information about what my games will be because they're always changing. And so that's another thing I've been really trying to work on and she's helped me a lot with is trying to iron or iron down, uh, trying to like really hammer down what exactly the game will be and what a general timeline that I actually stick to. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and that actually has been one of the biggest helps for me. Um, because I used to think of it as sort of backwards. Like I have a game I want to make, when I finish it, it will be done, and I'll, then I'll be able to tell you when I can get it out. But I've realized that with that sort of mindset, my sort of perfectionism takes over, and it's just too overwhelming because it's like, oh, when it's done, it's done. Well, that means I can just work on it forever. Yeah. If, if there's one piece of advice I've realized over the years, it's like to get anything done, you have to have some external deadline yes. of some sort. Because like... So true. Yeah, and I mean, like, sometimes it's just, it doesn't have to be finished by a certain date, but even if you say, like, I'm going to go to this open mic, and yeah. I have to have a new song, yes, or some, that's, like, the bare minimum, I Definitely. think. It's like, yeah, I, I totally agree, and it's something that I was missing for a good chunk of my whole time doing this on my own, and, and it's a big reason why I've, I've struggled a lot, is, like, I worked towards making the perfect game rather than making the best game I could within a timeline. Um, and it's, it's amazing what just having that does. And, yeah. and also breaking it up into smaller tasks. So you, you have big deadlines, you have mini deadlines within those big deadlines, and then you have yeah. like daily deadlines. Yeah. I remember the point when I started using a calendar, like a computer calendar. Somehow, like, it took until about senior year of college Mm -hmm. and prior to that i don't know high school you just like do projects you just know what's coming and you can somehow keep that in your head yeah but 
the first thing I used the calendar for was for my album project in college because I knew that I needed to record certain people for this mm. album and I was That's like true. I just have to set dates and then I had these external motivators of the people I'm working with yeah I think that is true it's helpful to have dates publicly with people share them and, and then you're but not just letting yeah. yourself down and because for you and I'm sure like a lot of electronic music producers they just do everything themselves yep, so there's exactly, exactly no one holding and i think that's a big part of the difficulty um and that's some that's one of the another one of the reasons at some point i might want to partner up with someone or, or like another game designer or an artist or i don't even know I have no idea but um i think there's something to be said to have a partner to work with because they keep you i feel like they would keep you in check I mean, unless you're both perfectionists, then it could <laughs> yeah. be worse, I guess. But I'm thinking back to when I've done collaborations with people. It's always nice to have like that other brain just sending stuff that you would never think of. Because like yeah. thinking of like other video partners I've worked with, like my friend Mitch will just throw out all these crazy ideas and just. Our personalities work well together because he's the crazy idea guy, mm. and then I'm the guy who like filters those into an actual like video project. See, that's that's awesome because that's more like me, like the way you are. Uh, because like for example, this is this is kind of a silly example, but growing up with my with my brother, he was he was always like when we were interacting and joking around with each other, and a lot of times it was like that. He would think of a crazy idea, and I would sort of hone the idea into something like like more palatable. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I, I think I can see that being fun because ideas for me are really stressful to come up with because it's just like anything goes and like, yeah, I love honing ideas into yeah. more concrete things. So I can definitely see that being really nice. When I've done game jams, I've loved working with people and collaborating. Um, yeah. You were telling me about the train jam. Yeah. That's such a fantastic experience. Yeah. Take a 52-hour train ride from Chicago to San Francisco. And uh, it, it starts off the uh, GDC, Game Developers Conference, but it's um, you just do a game jam the whole time with a bunch of people. Um, you, you end up forming a team usually, and you just make a game uh, on this train ride. And it's just through the gorgeous countryside of of the U.S. And it's just amazing. And while you're sitting in this train car you're building a game with all these other people and it's just it's a great experience would you recommend that to composers as like yes, a networking thing? definitely oh absolutely it's a great place to meet developers first of all there's so many cool developers there but also musicians composers sound designers very needed on things like that the, the only thing i'll say is you might want to be proactive about maybe helping out with coming up with some game design things and stuff like that and seeing what else you can do to sort of help out. But even more than that, what I've seen a lot of composers do is like last year I was, um, one of the people on one of the composers on the train literally would walk up and down the entire train, like six cars worth and just say like, Hey guys, I'm a musician. Here's my, here's a flash drive with like 10 of my songs. Anyone want this in their game? And it was basically like just, you know, promoting his stuff. And so many people ended up taking his stuff because they're like, oh, of course, like I don't have any music. Sure, throw it in. 
And then it's cool for the musician because then there will be like 20 games that have their songs in it. And uh, you've just networked and worked with, with like a hundred different people in, you know, less than two days or yeah. I guess a little more than two days. And but, all it uh, cost was like a few yeah. USB drives. Yeah. It's, yeah, I very highly recommend it. It's hard to get into uh, just because it sells out so quickly. So if you do want to get into it, you know, be ready when the tickets yeah. go on sale. But um, Do you know when it takes place? Uh, it takes place in February this year, um, the week before GDC. So, mm. um, so GDC, for people who don't know, Game Developers Conference. Yep. It's uh, lots of different cool talks and, and uh, panels and things like that. But also just such a great networking opportunity. I mean, the first year I went, I didn't even have a ticket, really. I just went there and met up with people and went to parties, and it's a great experience. And if you in any way are are wanting to get into the games industry, I highly recommend going um, and just being proactive and networking and and meeting people and... um, how about for composers at GDC? Do you yeah, think it's like absolutely? There's a there's a music track, so it's it's like there's a tons like every year at GDC there's a a game musician meetup like in the park, um, and you meet other musicians, yeah, but you also meet a ton of developers who a lot of times will you know if you meet them you network with them you might be able to work with them. Cool. Uh, so I need a question from you for the next person I'm interviewing, which will probably be a composer in L.A. Composer in L.A. That's my next stop on the tour. Okay. Um, I guess how do you see music in games changing in the future in terms of, like, style? Because I know for a while there, chiptunes were huge and sort of a, sort of a revival back into the early days of video game music and, and mm. if there's anything that you see coming down the line possibly that another revival of maybe later like Super Nintendo era kinds of sounds is that going to come back or or maybe new modernistic sounds like I was talking about with the really Foley sound effects and like making really realistic sounding things or are we going maybe into a minimalistic stage where there's not much sound or music at all it's just sort of very small, simple things. I just, I'm curious if you've seen any trends in terms of where, as a whole, the music in games has, is sort of heading into. Yeah, that that is interesting, because, yeah, chiptunes have been so huge, but, mm-hmm. like, art styles, yeah, and the pixel art is still around, yeah. but... I feel like there's. I've seen more low poly type. Yeah, art that, games. that's that's kind of what I mean. Like, there's there's always going to be different styles of everything, but yeah, there's sort of trends. Like the low poly, the voxels are huge after Minecraft, and I, it's sort of yeah. I think it has sort of transitioned into low poly. People get kind of sick of just the cubes, so now it's like more low poly. There's. I feel like there's sort of a meta style that tends to be part of the trend, but. Who knows where it'll go next? And I'm just curious if there's anything like that in music, too. And and it could tie back into the interactivity part. Like, maybe at some point in the future, lots of games will start having music that is reactive. Yeah. Or maybe not. I I mean, maybe that seems like the next frontier. Yeah. Because, like, when you're talking about that, you made me think, well, the reason 
game music had such a style from the early days is there were the limitations. Yeah. And definitely. now we've gotten beyond, like, sonic limitations aren't there anymore. Cause that's you can true. Just include, and that's probably why we've gone back. Yeah. Just for... And yeah, so develop, development-wise limitations, yeah, those, those can be used. Yeah. Well, Wit, it's been fun catching up with you here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And, or I guess... Thanks for so much for visiting me. I mean, yeah, it's awesome, <laughs> and uh, for having me on the show. And this is such a cool project, and I'm really excited to see how it is in Australia and LA and yeah. Where, where was the other one? Taiwan. Yep. God, so cool. It's yeah. I feel like this part of the tour. So I'm I'm I just finished the northeastern part of the U.S. and that is almost like a more comfortable and familiar thing because i've been on several road trips out here mm. so now i'm kind of like going into the next branch that's going to so be this was like a good start it was yeah like warm-up yes warm-up <laughs> yeah um yeah so well wit how, how can people find uh, your stuff? best way is honestly just to follow me on twitter uh it's at w trebella w-t-r-e-b-e-l-l-a i would tell you to go to my website but it got hacked recently. And I, uh, I was it, trying to go to your website. Yeah. yeah, and it got all screwed up, and, and I don't have time to fix it right now. Uh, so I just literally emptied it out, and just I'm going to start over fresh. After this game, I'm going to make a whole new website and everything. Mm. But right now, it's just a blank web page. So mm. also, feel free to email me. It's wtravella, same as my Twitter name, at Gmail. Um, yeah. If you have any direct questions, uh yeah, yeah. Either way, just say hi. Yeah. And if you're in Chicago, definitely reach out. We'll yeah. hang out. Yeah. Also, I feel like I didn't even ask you about your like prolific tweeting and vines <laughs> that you do. I've been like cause... really slacking on that lately. <laughs> so yeah, well, I really I should. Didn't... I really should start tweeting more stupid videos of myself again. Yeah. <laughs> I I still remember like some of your vine melodies. You just like more... sing. I should do more of those. Those were fun. Yeah, I, I remember write... this one that was like you were showing off a game you were working on. It was like <laughs> it's a weird little man and he's jumping on the oh, blocks yeah. or something like oh, that. Yeah. He's a weird little man and he's jumping all around. He's jumping on the blocks. He's a weird little man and he's jumping all around. He's jumping on the blocks. He's a weird. <laughs> Those are fun man to do, and, and occasionally I would write like a five second mini song and play piano with one hand while I was vining myself. It was like not easy to record, but, <laughs> but it was, uh, I should do more of those again. Yeah. Be fun. One of the ones that'll that be got the, the most, uh, like so many people still to this day, I, I, I find it like three years ago or something. And it's someone, I, I tweeted something like, give me some ideas about songs you want me to sing. And a bunch of people, I, I did random songs, but this one that someone said, sing about a breakfast burrito. And I just, people loved it. It goes, breakfast burrito, I can never get enough. It's like a big fat taco, but it's filled with breakfast stuff. <laughs> and people just still bring it up. Like, that is the best song ever. And it's that, That's like the next version of the single. Yeah, like, just a five second song. Yeah. yeah for the, for the uh, short time, attention spans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Breakfast burrito, I can never get enough. It's like a big fat taco, but it's filled with breakfast stuff. Well, it's been well, super fun. Yeah. 
I'm really excited to be on this and uh, appreciate you having me on it. Yeah, likewise. Uh, and uh, yeah, should we go play some Let's play games? some games. Yeah, let's do it. You do have a piano. Wait, yeah, where are you? <laughs> it's really shitty because this uh, the B flat doesn't work. All right, let's hear the breakfast. For all right, song. all right. Um, I'll do a special version for you. Breakfast burrito, I can never get enough. It's like a big fat taco, but it's filled with breakfast stuff. <laughs> there you go. That's great. <laughs> I have an idea. Okay. Um, so oh, you did so you did an awesome, uh, yeah, you did an awesome composer quest theme that was an electronic version. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Would you? I would. I'm sure you could like I'd have to whip hear out. It again. Well, no. I was thinking. I'm sure oh, you could one? whip out a new one on piano. Sure. And sing it. What would you want me to sing? I don't know. Something about the composer quest. World, sure. Yeah. World tour. Oh, okay. All right. Like a short. How long? Like twenty mm. seconds. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I'd have to. Uh, let me let me write. See if I can think of some lyrics quickly. I'm going to write the lyrics on the back of an electrical bill envelope. That's how cool I am. Right, let's see. Charlie's going to take you on a really cool quest. <laughs> Build with... Lots of stories. Uh, oh, God, I'm like on the clock. <laughs> it's stressful. <laughs> it's interesting that you go to writing out the lyrics first, because I, I would guess you would be like a sit at the piano, melody first kind of guy. Well, see, for me, melody and chords and stuff like that and rhythms come so naturally that and lyrics do not at all. I can create a melody that works to lyrics pretty quickly, but vice versa, I can't. Like I, if I make a melody and then I have to fit words to it, I just do terribly. So, um, Charlie's gonna take a really good Lots of stories. This podcast is the best. I'm also a terrible writer. <laughs> um, so sit. On down and listen up. Composer Quest World Tour. I mean, I kind of like the sit on down, listen up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. It's oh. funny. I didn't, that was totally unintentional writing no. there. So sit on down and listen up. Composer Quest World Tour. Bup, cup, dup, fup, gup. This is the majority of my writing lyrics. <laughs> Just rhymes. Seeing what rhymes fit. 
Hmm. <laughs> Sit down and listen up. Composer Cross World Tour is pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen. Getting up. back to your Minnesota roots. Yeah. Because Composer Quest World Tour is <laughs> awesome. Yep. Okay, this is the worst <laughs> song I've ever written, but but I'm sorry. It's now your theme song. Okay, now I have to just just give me a second to uh, figure out what's the uh, melody here. Any sort of like uh, stylistic suggestions, like or. Um, I'm thinking my, my first inclination is something like sort of swing big bandy. Uh, like, like, yeah, that's all right. I think um, couple takes but Charlie's gonna take you on a really cool quest filled with lots of stories his podcast is the best so sit on down and listen up does composer quest world tour is awesome yup Charlie's gonna take you on a really cool quest Filled with lots of stories His podcast is the best So sit on down and listen up Does Composer Quest World Tour is awesome, yup That was better <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more interesting melody on that one I like it Alright, well, now Thanks. you have a really stupid song for your theme song Of so. course, thanks Wit. <laughs> yeah, no problem Hey, my name is Wit. 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 I am singing you a song. I hope you think it's fine. I might do some more of these six-second songs on Vine. Six-second polka, yes siree. Six-second polka for Sarah G. I take my donkey to the store because he ate all his sausages and now he wants more. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's 6 a.m. You should wake up. The underwater party kind of sucks. Because now my beer is filled with poop from ducks. Canada is a very weird land. They drink milk in bags and eat weird candy. I'm doing laundry. Yes, indeed. I'm doing laundry. Because on this blanket, my dog peed. Dinosaurs, they were neat. Dinosaurs, I'm what they eat. I'm here at a Wisconsin Welcome Center, and I'm putting my windscreen to the test. It's super windy out here. And I just want to wrap up this Composer Quest episode by saying thanks to Daryl St. Blaine for sponsoring this episode through Kickstarter. Daryl's been one of my most supportive patrons over the years. Uh, so thanks, Daryl. And... Uh, we'll be hearing from him, hopefully, when I'm out in California. So, until next time, this is Charlie, signing off. 
Composer Quest Podcast World Tour. Make what you love no matter what. That's all you have to do.